بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد قال الله تبارك وتعالى في القرآن المجيد والفرقان الحميد إن الذين قالوا ربنا الله ثم استقاموا تتنزل عليهم الملائكة ألا تخافوا ولا تحزنوا وأبشروا بالجنة التي كنتم توعدون نحن أولياؤكم في الحياة الدنيا وفي الآخرة ولكم فيها ما تشتهي أنفسكم ولكم فيها ما تدعون نزلا من غفور رحيم وقال تعالى ولا تتبعوا خطوات الشيطان إنه لكم عدو مبين صدق الله العظيم My dear respected friends السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in this verse إن الذين قالوا ربنا الله Indeed those people who say that our Lord is Allah which makes all of us inshallah قال ربنا الله ثم استقاموا then they're able to then they are able to attain steadfastness on that you know when you say our Lord is Allah many challenges come up then to be able to deal with these challenges Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad to deal with these challenges and stay on that path is not easy to say that my Lord is Allah requires a number of things a number of sacrifices that have to be made for us to be true to that word again the Prophet said in another hadith قُلْ آمَنْتُ بِاللَّهِ ثُمَّ اسْتَقِمْ say I believe in Allah then remain steadfast that's the difficulty easy to say when I say easy to say easy to say for us but ask those people who attained the faith it was not easy for them. So again, we're speaking in our context that Alhamdulillah, many of us were born Muslims. We got it on a plate. Now for us, it's about steadfastness. And for those who didn't get it on a plate and who strove for it, again, steadfastness. Steadfastness is defined as... Steadfastness is... It applies to every situation. It applies to our aqidah. Steadfastness means to avoid the extremes in beliefs avoid the extreme in terms of what we understand about Allah about what we understand about Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam what we're supposed to understand about certain deeds that we do going <clears throat> into the extremes in that regard is also problematic so istiqamat steadfastness not only relates to actions that you shouldn't do extreme actions, but it also means you should avoid extreme ideology. Unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of that today. That's another challenge we have today. You have people who are slightly mentally troubled and they've never met ISIS, for example. They've never met any member of ISIS. They've just seen some of the propaganda online and somehow they click because they also have a certain amount of you can say 
harshness within them. Their, their disposition is a harsh disposition. These are the kind of ideas that they hold within them. So when they see somebody calling to harshness under the guise of Islam, and they feel that they are worthless individuals who have not attained anything in this world, then let me go in that direction. That's what you call the vulnerability aspect. But that is also going against the istiqamat. So Allah says that verily those, indeed those who say that my Lord is Allah, thumma staqamu, and then do truly remain steadfast, malaika, the angels will descend upon such people. Allah takhafu, reassuring them that you must not fear, wala tahzanu, and you must not grieve. Wa abshiru, and receive the glad tidings. Listen to the glad tidings. Take the glad tidings, bil jannah, of the gardens, because essentially paradise is primarily based on lush green gardens under which rivers flow. Kuntum tu'adun that you would be promised, that you were promised. Nahnu awliya'ukum fil dunya. We are your caretakers. We take care of you. Awliya, a wali. A wali is called a wali because he takes care and is mindful of the sharia. And it also has a passive meaning. See, the word wali has both an active meaning and a passive meaning. What that means is wali also means the one who caretakes something else. And it also means in the passive sense, the one who's taken care of. So a wali of Allah is the one who takes care and is mindful of the boundaries of the sharia, of what Allah requires from such an individual. And based on that, Allah is looking after him and thus he is the one who's looked after. That's why the hadith mentions, which is mentioned in Bukhari and others, that when a person gets close to Allah by fulfilling the obligations, right, then they get closer and closer by doing the additional nafil, optional acts, until Allah says, I become the hand by which he picks or touches, the feet by which he walks, the tongue by which he speaks, and so on, becomes divinely inspired and guided. Doesn't become a prophet, can still make mistakes, can still, is still prone to errors, is not infallible, but is become divinely protected to us, divinely guided, enabled, divinely enabled. That's a wali of Allah. May Allah make us of the awliya. So, نَحْنُ أَوْلِيَاءُكُمْ فِي الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ We will be mindful of you in this world, the angels are saying, and also in the hereafter. نَحْنُ أَوْلِيَاءُكُمْ فِي الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ وَلَكُمْ فِيهَا مَا تَشْتَهِ أَنفُسُكُمْ And once you get there, for you there then is whatever your soul's desire. Whatever yourselves desire, for you is all of that. وَلَكُمْ فِيهَا مَا تَدَّعُونَ And for, is, for you there is whatever you, whatever you want, whatever you call for. And this is نُزُلًا مِنْ غَفُورِ الرَّحِيمِ this is a hospitality, special gift of hospitality from the most forgiving and the most merciful one. So now, <clears throat> Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then also says in the same Quran, وَلَا تَتَّبِعُوا خُطُوَاتِ الشَّيْطَانِ Do not follow the footsteps of the shaytan. Why is it called footsteps? Why is it called khutuwat? Why is it called khutuwat? Because shaytan comes through steps 
small baby steps first he uh, he he allows us to or he forces us or convinces us i would say shaitan can't force anybody to do anything okay? we have to get that right why am i saying that because allah says in the quran qul a'udhu bi rabbin nas malikin nas ilahin nas min sharril waswasil khannas alladhi yuwaswisu fi sudurin nas we seek refuge in allah uh, from um the shaitan, who is the waswas, the whisperer. Al-Khannas, but the one who retreats when you make the dhikr of Allah. Who whispers into the, the breasts of people. Not into the hearts of people. If it was that shaitan whispered with his heart, uh, into the qulub in nas, then we'd have no volition. We'd have no, we'd have no choice. But human is born with free with. He, uh, with free will uh, uh, we have free will and that's why to retain that shaitan can never force us to do anything that's why he it's surrounding our chest it's in our chest not in the heart directly but it's surrounding that that he whispers and thus we have a level of protection we have to allow him in which obviously becomes very easy once certain number. now you have to remember that shaitan is the most knowledgeable about uh, each one of us because there's a hadith in Sahih Muslim which mention, mentions that every time a human is born there's a shaitan that is designated right? and then he goes on to mention that every time he whispers uh, to us when we do the dhikr of Allah then he retreats so now what happens is <clears throat> that shaitan is whispering the reason he doesn't need to force us is because he knows what makes us tick he knows what makes us take additional steps. He just has to show us one thing. <clears throat> so, as I said, every child that's born, you get a shaitan with them. Once Aisha radiallahu anha got a bit jealous about uh, the Prophet he went out, he came back in, he said something. And um, she said to, he, said to, he said to her, it looks like your shaitan's come along. Shaitanuki. He says, oh, do I have a shaitan with me? He said, yes, everybody has a shaitan. Even you, Ya Rasulullah. Yes, even me. But my shaitan, various ways of reading it, has been subdued or has submitted. Right? And then there's a, another um, meaning that they take is become a Muslim. Can shaitan become a Muslim or not? Wallahu alam. But he's definitely submitted. He is ineffective. Right? Aslama, uslama whatever uh, the rendering is so <clears throat> there's a shaitan with every human being now this shaitan has been with us since birth he knows everything we've been through and it's not one shaitan to 10 individuals that you have to keep running around like let me catch him quickly go go it's one shaitan to every human being he knows more about us than our own parents and because this is his vocation <clears throat> he probably knows more about what makes us tick than we do so he just has to make us think. You see, subhanAllah, I mean, I guess um, the challenges we're speaking about, one of the biggest challenges for men is, what's the biggest challenge for men? Sorry? Okay. <laughs> one of the biggest challenges for men is women, and not for you, right? Your biggest challenge is uh, Nintendo Wii or something like this. What's your biggest challenge? 
Oh, that one, okay. Yeah, you're lucky, that's innocent, mashallah, to a certain degree. Um, <clears throat> What's the challenge for women? That's the logical answer, but it's not necessarily the real answer. I guess we should let the women speak for themselves, but from my observation, when I've asked these questions at other times, it's generally um, other issues of um, um, beauty, the, 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 uh, the quest for beauty, the quest for... Um, it, it's, generally to, it's generally to do with beauty, good clothing, nice handbags, uh, and so on and so forth. In fact, they did a study that even countries like Saudi Arabia where outside you must be dressed in black, right? The only thing you can then show off with is a handbag. <clears throat> what else are you going to show? That's why huge amounts go into the handbags. You know, the Louis Vuitton handbags and all the rest of them because that's the only thing you can really show off with them. Anyway, so Shaitan knows all of us. He knows that when a certain people, uh, person sees a certain image that is going to strike him, that is going to strike that individual and it's going to make him go to a particular website or particular websites or whatever the case is and he's going to end up spending hours on there in haram and at the end of it he's going to regret it but he's only going to regret it afterwards. At the heat of the moment, unfortunately, he's going to go through and do this which is one of the biggest challenges that Muslim men all over the world are facing. Right? And there's no need for us to go into great depths about these things but that's what it is the shaitan understands what makes us tick because he's been with us he knows that every time in the past when he's come across this particular individual they've had an argument he knows that this individual every time ramadan comes he's going to argue with somebody about when the real eid is or when the real ramadan is or what timetable is right or wrong he knows that so he's just going to whisper something in our ears it's up to us to accept or to thwart it. <clears throat> Ibn al-Qayyim says something very interesting. Now what's this got to do with modern challenges? Well, it's because of how we're going to react to modern challenges. That's why we have to form the basis of the human being first. Our psychology towards these things. I Ibn al-Qayyim says that, look, we are constantly bombarded by various different ideas that come into our mind. Like, you know, on a normal five minutes... If you're just sitting there thinking, whether you're sitting in the toilet is the best, time, best place to think really. Because you're not distracted by anything. Right? We are so busy today in our distracted lifestyles, we have no time to think. Went to a friend's house and he's got magazines. This is in America. He's, he's got magazines in his toilet. Why do you have magazines there? Literally, Time magazine. You know, this is like a rack. This is the only place. This is why they call it the restroom. That's why they call it the, in America, in Canada, they call it the washroom. But in America, they call, they, they call it the restroom. It's the only time you can get away from it all and be for yourself, do something for yourself for once. Right. Um, so we are constantly, you know, there's various thoughts that come through our mind, good and bad. Oh, I should do that good thing. I should donate here. I should help this out. I should, I should, I should be, you know, doing my salat in the masjid. Uh, I should read some Quran. These are thoughts that come into mind. Maybe they, maybe they are, uh, maybe they are. Uh, they, they, these thoughts are brought on by something we see, right? They, otherwise, they just come in. I mean, random thoughts you can call them. And a lot of the time, they're evil thoughts. They're bad thoughts. Um, thoughts about zina. Thoughts about uh, indulgence. Thoughts about um, extravagance. 
Thoughts about whatever the case is. These are thoughts. Right? So thoughts are going to come. That's the nature of this world. What we, have you noticed that on certain occasions, we are able for month, a month on end, two months on end, three months of, on end, to not allow these thoughts to become action. Not allow these thoughts to actually get beyond the thought. But at other times, the thought comes in and immediately we act on it. Have you noticed that? that? What that is, that's the state of the heart. Whatever the state of the heart is, that is what will sift, that is what will prevent, will be the preventive factor of sifting out evil thoughts from the good thoughts, or good thoughts from the evil thoughts. Depends on the condition of the heart. Because you cannot stop thoughts from coming, you cannot stop being exposed to things. We are living in a dunya that's full of challenges. We cannot stop being that because, again, hermitude is not really um, praiseworthy in the deen. We, have to, we are social creatures. That's what we are created to be. And thus, the most uh, greatest accomplishment is to remain strong while being within community and society, while having children and so on. That is what you call kamal and accomplishment. Not retreating somewhere. Yes, short-time retreats are good, like etikaf that we have. And even then, our retreats are not to be just isolated and alone. Our etikaf means that we come in the masjid and we're still with believers because Rasulullah said, anybody who frequents the masjid bear witness that he is a mu'min. So that's why even in our etikaf, there's no extremes. We are still within with people. We're allowed to meet with people who are mu'mineen. It's just no, nobody else. So... What Allah wants from us is a heart that is able to withstand the evil thoughts and not take them in, have a natural anti... Um, what, what do you call it? Antibiotic? Uh, what's, what's the term? An, an anti- natural antibodies, antibody. right? Natural vaccination, right? Whatever you <coughs> want to say. Although we don't want to say vaccination, actually insert some of it so that you do. That's, that's dangerous. You can't vaccinate yourself, I think. You can't vaccinate yourself because that means introducing an evil thought. That's the worst thing that you can do, right? So I think you have to create natural antibodies in this case. So homeopathy, uh, homeopathy won't work here because that deals with you know adding. Because the way they say it, see, a lot of the time when we do something wrong, we think to ourselves, just one more time. That's what we say, one more time, then finish. But every time we do it, it's like, have you heard of Japanese knotweed? Who's heard of Japanese knotweed? Right? You've heard of it? Right? It's some crazy stuff. It's, it's, a, it's a plant that was introduced in the 1920s because it grew, mashallah, very fast. So you could, you know, bring up hedges and whatever. But to then control that is, if you cut it off, it it's, has a self-defense mechanism of some sort. So if you, cut, if you cut it off, it will actually multiply its roots and go deeper. And then it will start creating other seeds from there. So it just expands. And it goes through cement, it goes through walls, it goes through uh, you know, huts and all that. If a house has that, the value drops. Mortgages won't lend to you unless you've got a professional treatment in place. That's the same as sin. The more you do it, right? the more you do it, one more time, you're just digging its root deeper. And the deeper it goes that is how much more difficult it is to uproot it eventually. 
initially it's much easier but that's how it is so now as ibn al-qayyim says we're con- going to be constantly bombarded by good and evil thoughts images confrontations we need the heart to be able to sift through this that evil ones they just rebound and nothing happens thought has five stages you got the hajis the khatir hadith nafs dhan and azm right or hum and azm so you got khatir hajis 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 is a thought that comes into the mind and then disappears so you know like many thoughts they come into the mind you're sitting here many thoughts are coming to the mind you didn't have to do anything they just disappeared right and it just kind of leaves a remnant that if you think about it you may remember it but otherwise it's forgotten khatir comes in the mind remains for longer but without you having to without you don't interact with it it just stays for a bit longer maybe because you you start thinking about it a bit more but you don't have to you don't interact with it and then again it goes out now if this thought actually remains there and you interact with it and you start no i shouldn't do that yes i should do that yes that would be really nice to do that but i shouldn't do it you know you have a personal dialogue with this person inside that's called hadith nafs in arabic which means to speak to your soul to speak to your lower self speak to yourself if you can call it that right now if it goes beyond that now if that's a good thought all good we should be we should be entertaining good thoughts that come in and if it's evil thoughts and we've gone to the level of hadith and nafs then that's getting dangerous now unless we're winning no we mustn't do this nobody oh, look it's only once you know it's only once it's so easy look nobody's going to find out so that's the kind of dis- dialogue we're having now if it goes beyond that where it gets to hum right where you have become inclined now you've become inclined but you still haven't decided to do you've done the discourse you've become inclined to do the good deed or a bad deed right but you still haven't made a decision full commitment and resolution to do it once you've made the resolution then it becomes what they call azm firm resolution and you are sinful at that stage right although it's still in the mind i give you an example person wants to commit zina is prepared it all it's all prepared right but sh- the the other person doesn't turn up on that day the date you you did the date you know like yeah, let's meet at this time whatever but the person doesn't turn up or you fell sick it was raining there was a storm outside right so although there's some difference of opinion here but they say that you are because you've made the decision it was external factors that prevented you from doing it this is basically the human nafs this is what we're dealing with the constant challenge in our mind right so now what are the challenges that are out there i don't want to just talk about sexual challenges because that's just that's they're very obvious though they tend to be some of the biggest challenges um that many people get involved in but if i was to look at our challenges and maybe you can help me in this regard but some of our challenges are the following one is clothing and fashion to keep up with certain trends in fashion when it comes to clothing and thus have to refresh your wardrobe if not every year then definitely every 2 years and not wanting to be seen in the same garment twice i mean once you get further up in that regard uh once i went to a person a friend's house um uh, he, he was a friend of mine uh, uh in america um in another state so i visited him eventually 
and he took me from his garage entrance. I said, why don't you take me from the front door? Right? So the other time I did, uh, or no, he took me from one entrance and it, uh, there was another entrance that he didn't want to take me from, but once he did take me from there. And I'm not joking, there were at least 50, 60 pairs of shoes there that were his mother's. 50, 60 pairs, just, you know, proper masjid racks, <laughs> like, like a masjid. Right? You thought there was a jamaat going on or something inside. Right? So I said, what's this? He goes, please, just, just don't look at that, you know, just come inside. So we've got issues like this. These are just shopaholics. There are certain people who are shopaholics. We've got this problem today. You know, moving over from fashion to shop Amazon. You know, when you, we, because we can instantly uh, uh, gratify ourselves. Because now Amazon does same-day delivery, right, as well. Of course, it costs huge amounts of money. And if, you know, they promote Prime, Amazon Prime, so that you can test it out for a week, uh, sorry, for a month for free, and get your stuff the next day, and uh, once you get hooked on getting things the next day, it's very difficult to get it after three days. Right? So, the pleasure of opening up a box. <coughs> you know the pleasure? A parcel comes and you open up the box. How does it feel? Right? And then you open it up, you take it out and you get a sense of exhilaration. And then after that, what happens? <coughs> you have to do it all over again. Right? Can you remember the first time that you got your new phone? You know, how we studied it, how we figured it out, how we relished it, cherished it. Now, just to keep up with new phones, do you get the same satisfaction? Because how much more are they going to do? The new iPhone is very similar to it. It just probably has a better Gorilla Glass, right? Maybe a better display, but it's hardly significant. It's all in the technicality. It's all in the... It's all in the detail. It's, sorry, it's all, like my son, he tells me, your phone, I, guess, I said, why don't you get the phone that I have, right? The one plus two. I'm not promoting it, I'm just mentioning it, right? And he said, no, because it gets too hot. I said, you're reading reviews. I've never found it hot. What do you want to do on there that is going to make it hot? Yeah, some gaming people are probably finding it hot and you're just reading, say, no, it's hot, so I'm not going to get it. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is the kind of gimmickry that's going on out there. How they're playing one off with the other. A lot of the stuff that we read, it doesn't even apply to us. It applies to, you know, they take it to the extreme level because these are flagship phones from each of these companies that they're comp comparing with each other. We, we don't even need to use the camera at that, at, that, uh, at that particular resolution. But we are forced into upgrading each time. So our life becomes that one year we have to upgrade our wardrobe the next year, we're upgrading our appliances at home. The third year, we're, well, I mean, every year we're upgrading our phones, needy, right? And then eventually it goes into upgrading your cars and, and everything else because it becomes a full materialistic world. Because we're never satisfied with anything. We're never satisfied with anything. So that's one of the challenges. Now, fashion and clothing is that challenge. Technology, new gadgets, is another challenge that we're dealing with. Now, I'm not, one, I'm not one of those who say all of these things are haram. Get a good phone if you have the utility for it, if you're going to use it, if that's what you need it for. But if I've got a fine phone and the next one comes up, the next you know, 0.3 or whatever it is, then why do I need to get that? Just for bragging rights? Just so I can say I've got the latest phone? Or is there a feature on there that you do really need? It's about making, logic, making very rational decisions 
based on that. Because what we have to remember is that in Islam we've got two uh, we've got two concepts. One is called israf. Kulu wash, uh, Allah says kulu washrabu wala tusrifu. Eat, drink, but do not be of excess. What is excess? We've got another verse uh, in Surah Al-Isra, which is Innal Mubadhirina Kanu Ikhwana Shayateen. Mubadhirin. So that is the concept of tabdir. And this is the concept of Israf. We're told not to do Israf. We're told not to do it. But when it comes to tabdir, it says these are the brothers of the shaitan. So what is the difference between Israf and tabdir? Israf is excessive. But it's not necessarily haram. It's eating too much. It's buying too much and then wasting it. It's basically going overboard with certain things for no reason whatsoever. That's what you call israf. Going overboard on the halal or permitted. Tabdeer, on the other hand, which is called the brotherhood of the shaitan, is actually where you take your extra that you have and you use it in the disobedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So where our wealth is then going to be utilized in the disobedience of Allah, the same wealth that Allah gave us, enabled us to have, we're using it. That's why one of the du'as of some of the pious elders of the past, like Hassan al-Basri, rahimahullah, etc., is that, Oh Allah, I seek your forgiveness from all such sins that I committed using the same wealth that you gave me. Now, what a violation that is. How of much of an abuse of that wealth that is that Allah gives it to us and that's what we use it for. So, there's fatwas out there, Facebook is haram, I don't agree with that. Right? YouTube haram, I don't agree with that. There, are, there is the good and there is the bad and I think we have to have a very pragmatic approach because if you don't and you start saying things are haram, Nobody's gonna, it's very difficult to say, you know, I mean, I think Pakistan banned YouTube, right? That's why we used to get these emails, you know, we can't listen to your lectures because it's, but I'm sure they have ways of getting around that, right? You can't, banning things and um, uh, prohibiting things and saying things are haram doesn't work. It's, it's not real. It's not right. There's a lot of good on YouTube. There's a lot of good on YouTube. But we have to educate and say, though there's a lot of good, Unfortunately, because of the way they have their algorithms, as soon as you finish one, and even if you haven't finished one, there's already advertisements on the side, and some of them are very generally they always have some weird, juicy one out there, right? That is really shaitanic, right? Because remember, shaitan does everything step by step. That's why Allah says, "Wala shaitan." Do not follow the steps of the shaitan, because he takes it step by step. There are many people who've, you know, there are people, uh, the, the, the studies have shown that people who've abstained from cigarettes for a while, they just have to smell the smoke at one time and they could relapse. People who've been drinking and they've abstained for many, many years, they have to be careful that they don't even smell the stuff. Because otherwise they can have a relapse very fast. This is the way the nafs is. This is, we need to know this. Because that's the way nafs is. Likewise, people who've stayed away from watching haram, sometimes just by watching a normal movie with some element of nudity, nudity will cause the person the next day to go and watch something because he's had the, that small strike of it and he just wants more of it after that the next day. 
So these are the difficulties that we're facing because it's around us all over the place. So what you see right now, we've now experienced augmented reality, which is your Pokemon Go, right? Which is takes the surrounding. And we have many, the, it's the, the research in terms of creating um, alternative realities is, you know, we've had the second life, uh, we've had uh, all these other new ones where if you think it's bad right now, it's only going to get worse. Where you can actually design whatever haram you want in the future. You will be able to design the haram that you want in the future. And you can stay as a, literally a slob at home, doing nothing but just in, in, indulging yourself in your own haram. As the wealthy used to do of the past, with real people. This is all artificial. Once you get into this alternative world and you it suspends reality humans become used to doing that there are movies out there that are not about humans but they're about either lego movies they're about um what do you call it cars is that cars cartoon movie right you know that one right what is it oh what's the guy's name that red car lightning mcqueen there you go You've seen the title, okay. What's your name, inshallah? Zakaria. Zakaria, mashallah. Allah make you a big alim, inshallah. Okay. You're gonna be an alim, inshallah. Yes. Inshallah. So, um, <clears throat> I'm just trying to be as candid as possible. I want us to think our way through this. One is it's very easy to say things are halal, haram. Very easy. But I want us to understand the dynamics behind all of these things. How these things, and the amount of research that has gone in this, to make things successful, amazing. Because, you know, the, the philosophers of the last hundred years or so, they discovered, they started talking about the nafs. Right? So the advertising industry paid huge amounts of money to figure this out. That's why, what do you have in advertisements? It all, it's all appealing to your nafs. Every slogan is appealing to your nafs. Just think about it. Pure decadence. Magnum. You know, pure decadence. Indulge yourself. Just do it. Right? What else is there? Release the devil in you. And you, you, you know, we're not, we don't even have any aversion to these things. We understand where it's coming from. It's speaking to us directly and thus outwardly we don't even have an aversion to these things because we've accepted them. We've accepted this, that it's fine. We understand what it means. It doesn't really mean the devil. Do you understand? But it is the devil. What else you got? Release the devil in you. Uh, indulge yourself. Uh, subhanAllah. Go enjoy. There's just so many. All of them... They strike at our nafs. You see it and then you want, you want it. Now, when you understand that that is the ploy here, then you will start making more rational decisions. When you can't make rational decisions, when you don't understand the industry behind this, they just want your money, they just want huge profits. Then 
the only the only people they're going after basically are people where a cigarette manufacturer you know there's massive thing like don't label your cigarette in in, uh, in uh, you know in in nice colors and and things like that keep it a plain simple packet and so on and so forth but until we don't understand this we're not going to be we're going to be part and parcel of the the entire system so it's to have a real good understanding of this so that's technology new gadgets conforming to certain trends most people tend to be followers very few people think for themselves and make their own decisions. Most people just follow a role model, whether they follow them you know, uh, um, absent-mindedly, realizing they're following somebody or not, that's a different issue. But most people tend to be followers and that's why it's so easy for people to mislead others. So that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, do not follow the khutuwat shaitan the steps of the shaitan, because that is what it's going to lead to. Then on the other hand, as Muslims living here, the kind of challenges, the other challenges, I mean, until now we spoke about challenges of the nafs. The other challenges that we have is in terms of practicing our faith. So one of the biggest in that regard is racism. right? The racism that we see creeping up, you can call that racism, you can call it whatever you want. right? The discrimination that we have, it may not be racism, it could be discrimination, whatever, whatever you want to call that. How do we deal with that? How do we deal with that? It causes people to react in many different ways. The people who are weak of faith, again, this is just another challenge that's coming. Like Ibn al-Qayyim said, this is not just a mere thought. This could be a remark. This could be somebody putting somebody's hijab. This could be somebody putting somebody's niqab off. This could be somebody shouting something at you. These are various different things that are coming at us. How do we react to this? One thing that we all have to realize is that being a Muslim is not easy and it's not cheap. Because as the Prophet ﷺ said, Allah in Nasilat Allahi Ghaliya. The verily the merchandise of Allah is expensive. Allah in Nasilat Allahi Jannah. And the merchandise of Allah is the gardens, is, is paradise. And we have a concept called ihtisab. I remember once I was going to do Jumu'ah and I was going through Euston Station, which is one of the big stations of London. And you got all of these people, very important people passing through, passing through that station. You know, probably ministers and, and uh, executives of companies, people, you know, at the helm of uh, a lot of these kind of major corporations that are, uh, you, you know, that are part and parcel of the way the world is today. And you're going past and you start now imagine is a poor man who's going past and he has suffered abuse. He has suffered injustice. Right. Just imagine a person from another country who suffered a lot of injustice. How does such a person hold on to their faith? How does a person like that hold on to their faith when they see the injustice in the world? Where they see that others have huge amounts and they have nothing. Can you imagine how much of a challenge that is to the faith? The one thing, the one thing which keeps people from becoming despondent, from becoming despondent is the belief in the afterlife in Yawmul Hisab, on the day of accounting, uh, account, the reckoning. If there was no day of reckoning, if there was no concept of, uh, 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 if there was no concept of uh, jaza and uh, re reward and punishment, then can you imagine what kind of despondency would be in this world? That's why people of faith, whether that be the Muslim faith or the Christian faith, because they have this concept of belief in the hereafter and justice, as long as that's built in, they tend to be, be they tend to be more at ease. Because you will think that, okay, today we are in a world where it's unjust. I am being persecuted. 
I am being discriminated against. But tomorrow on the day of judgment, nobody will be oppressed as, you know, even an iota's amount. Nobody will be oppressed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give everybody their fair due. That is See, in many hadith it says, the one who believes in Allah and the last day. The one who believes in Allah and the last day. Everything in between, they don't mention and the prophets and so on and so forth. Because it's belief in this, these are the two major beliefs. Everything else is in between. Yes, you have to believe in everything else in between the books, the scriptures, the, 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 the prophets and so on and so forth. But it's the last day which keeps us and allows us that I know on that day, if I don't get it, if somebody's taking your piece of land in Pakistan or India or whatever the case is, you've tried everything, it doesn't come back. The only thing you've got, what have you got then? Ihtisab. You call that ihtisab, which means anticipation from Allah to reward you and to give you your justice. That is important. So keep that always in mind. Keep the concept of ihtisab in mind. And believe me, we need this ihtisab, we need this lesson of ihtisab so much today. Because although, alhamdulillah, we're still faring much better than many other people in the world, but we could have so easily have been transplanted with somebody in another country. We could have been in Syria, eating from cardboard as the only sustenance, and somebody else could have been here enjoying ourselves with the foods that we have. Ihtisab we all have to do. But keep that in mind, that your faith will require you, and the whole reason, all of this is based on the fact that this world is not the final abode. If this was the final abode, it'd be a different story. But because there's another abode to come, this place is just the trial. This place is just the testing grounds. That is where it's all going to be about. If that's the only thing that keeps us ticking. And we have to develop that thought of the hereafter. Because developing a thought of our death there's a hadith which mentions I'm still, uh, I just read it recently and I wasn't able to take down its source and everything but it men- the, 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 the hadith mentions that if a person remembers their death 20 times a day 20 times a day they will be resurrected as a shaheed a shaheed, a martyr who's given himself we can't give ourselves but if we think of your death 20 times a day you will probably reach the same spiritual dimension that they did. Because death is a a wake-up call. Death is a moderator. Death is what keeps us steady and balanced. Because, you know, you wake up and you have all of these great ideas. And you think, tomorrow I'm going to die. What am I going to do with all of this? And then you hear that it's the raka'at, ruka'at, the small prayers you did that's going to benefit you. When you think about that, you will do that extra two rakats. When you think about that, then you will do that extra two rakats. Otherwise, what for? Why would you do that? If there's no hereafter, why would you make an extra prayer? Why would you make prayers at all? The only reason we would do this is if we think of our death. The more you think of your death, the more you will get closer to Allah. The more you will get closer to Allah. In terms of thinking about death, there are three individuals, there are three people. People are categorized in three different ways. One is the person who death, thinking about death is actually harmful. Right? Why would that be the case? Because that person is so indulgent in the dunya, in the world, that thinking of his death only makes him want more and more before that happens. He dislikes death, he wants the world so much, he feels bad 
and he tries to find ways of longev longevity. So for that person, thinking about death is actually worse because it only makes him more dunya, more dunyary. Then you've got, you get two other people. You get the one person who is on the beginning path, on the beginning of the path. For him, though he understands death and that it gets you close to Allah and it's the door to endless bliss and everything else, but he dislikes death, not because he dislikes wanting to meet Allah, but he dislikes the fact that he doesn't have enough time. He hasn't had enough time to be able to prepare himself. So the only reason he dislikes death right, is because I don't have enough time. I won't have enough time to make amends. I won't have time to uh, reap enough and send it forward for, uh, for my Jannah, for my paradise. I won't have time to seek forgiveness from others. I'm not ready yet. That's why he dislikes death. Now the person who's gone beyond this stage, they love death. They're willing to go at any time. Because they know that they want escape from this world. But again, the Prophet said, do not ask for death. The, the highest station is that you just leave it to Allah while you continue to work hard and continue to be balanced on the, on the road of istiqamah. So death is really, really helpful. Mortality, the thought of mortality is very, very beneficial because it cuts our extreme dreams. It's not to say that we shouldn't have dreams, have as many dreams, but our dreams should allow our hereafter to be taken into consideration. I mean, look, for a believer who believes in the hereafter, if he is making choices just for this dunya, and the hereafter doesn't figure in there at all, then that is very unprudent. That is extremely wrong and short-sighted. Because everything we do has an impact on our hereafter. And there's n nothing to stop you from gaining anything permissible in this world. But just figure the hereafter into it. So if you're making a decision, think, okay, I want this. How is it going to imp impact my hereafter? So you ask based on your hereafter. I'll give you an example. If you're looking to buy a house, you don't have a house and you're struggling, right? How much other houses around this area? Okay. Oh, mashallah, the muft. That's free, man. It's a joke. Subhanallah. In London, 400 is the minimum you can spend for a half decent house. 400,000. In my area where I am currently renting, it's 1 million pounds for a normal three bedroom house. So 100,000, you guys are like joking, man. You know, subhanAllah. Allah Ta'ala give you all house. But what I'm saying is, I know somebody in London who's looking for a house. So he thought to himself, he says, look, I'm making all of this dua. Oh Allah, give me a house, give me a house. Dunya we dua at the end of the day, it's an essential, right? It's a big need, right? So then he thought about the hereafter. So he said, his dua then became, Oh Allah, grant me a house in this world and grant me Jannatul Firdaus. Now, is there anything wrong with that dua? Did it take anything extra? But he then thought, if I'm asking for a house in this world, why can't I ask for the best house in the hereafter as well? Alhamdulillah, the guy got a house recently. So he's hoping now that because Allah, because his du'as were always together, he's got this one, inshallah that one's there as well. But do you, do you see the perspective I'm trying? I'm, I'm trying to train our perspective. It's about how do we bring Allah into everything? How do we bring Allah into everything? That's what we should be. That's what Allah wants from us. So it's just about refining our thought process. You can still have the same enjoyment. As long as it's halal enjoyment. 
but it's just done with Allah in mind. And that's what's important. So we are facing discrimination in many areas. We have to do ihtisab. But number two, we do have to up our game. That's what's important. We do slack in many areas. Our da'wah to non-Muslims in any kind of effective means is non-existence. That is active da'wah we're talking about. Very few people are doing active da'wah. In fact, we're not even doing our passive da'wah, which should be the, the feature of every believer. And what's passive da'wah? Is just to act like a true Muslim. Nobody is going to go and re- read the biography of Rasulullah, the seerah. Why should they? They are going to see the behavior of certain believers in the world, certain professing believers in the way they act, and they're going to think Muhammad is like that. La hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. Rasulullah was such that he gave as many excuses as possible not to kill somebody. Abdullah ibn Ubay bin Salul, the chief munafiq and hypocrite of that time, well known, commonly understood, known that he was a hypocrite, and he would do many, many things which instigated various rebellions and problems and fitna and issues. It was documented, well known, proof was there, but the Prophet refused to kill him. Why? I don't want people to think that Muhammad kills his followers. Very bad publicity. Very bad publicity. Now you've got these individuals who are doing totally the opposite. They are finding excuses to kill people. Innocent people. They're finding excuses to kill innocent people. Others are watching that. Others are seeing this. And of course, mashallah, the media augments these things and makes it more than the reality. Right? And then the backlash is suffered by us. Because we don't have a sufficient antidote to this in the form of such great behavior that people can figure out that yes, that is a marginal, that is a margin of that society. Those are just isolated individuals. Not every believer, not my next door neighbor, not anybody else is going to do the same thing. We've got a lot of passive da'wah to do, which means to act at our, at our best behavior, whether it's at work or neighbors or whatever the case is. Because a lot of people find it very difficult. Look, how do you give da'wah to somebody? Like a non-Muslim sitting there with them, you're going, your neighbor, brother, you must become a Muslim. You know, uh, th- this is the Quran and, you know, stop being like a, like a preacher, like uh, where, where these, uh, these uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, is that what you want to be? Right? It's difficult. Not everybody knows how to give da'wah, but you can give a passive da'wah, can you not? Be an excellent brother. For example, there was a, a brother who does market stalls right, in a non-Muslim area, predominantly you know, near Cambridge. He was telling me that a, friend, a person he knows, he's got a non-Muslim neighbor. The wife is fine. The, the woman of the house, she's fine with them. But the husband just has some major problems with these guys. Right? They're Pakistanis. Religious. Right? And he said, if it was not for the fact that you know, I'm a practicing individual, I, I would have beat him up by now. That's how aggravating this neighbor is. So one day what happens is, now look at this. One day what happens is this neighbor has, invi- has, has got these workers over uh, to do the garden, right? The fencing in the garden. So at lunchtime, he, tells his, he, he, he goes and speaks to them and, and gets to know them. And he goes and tells his wife to make your chawal or whatever it is, right? You know, and... He goes and gives them food at lunchtime. 
It's, they're, not, they're not working in his house. They're working in his neighbor's house who is very antagonistic towards him. Can you see that? So he gives their workers. And uh, mashallah, they, they are extremely excited about this because sometimes the, the same people that they are giving, uh, that they are working for, they don't offer them anything. They expect that we're just going to pay you. you. You get your own sandwiches. right? And these guys, next door neighbors, are providing the food here. So they must have told their boss, the manager of the company. So the next day he gets, uh, he gets uh, you know, a knock on his door and it's the manager of that construction company. So like, you know, I'm really surprised that what you guys have done, this is very surprising. You know, we're not working for you, we're working for your neighbor. What is it? Why did you do this? You know, this is a man who's got a conscience. He didn't just pass it off as, oh, okay, maybe freak accident, right? He actually is thinking. And there are a lot of thinking people out there who we need to speak to we need to you know expose ourselves to in the right way so uh, the guy sat him down gave him some tea and explained to him look this is our faith you just be nice to your neighbor and so on prophet this and this and so on and this is the quran and so on and subhanallah they developed a relationship the person started studying the quran he would consult with him every so and so you know every week or two weeks ah i can't remember the period of time then he became a muslim now look at the seed and look at what germinated. I asked him, what about your neighbor? He's still antagonistic. <laughs> Fine, you didn't get him, but you got somebody else. Look at the benefit of it. Simple acts. Simple acts. I've got a, one of the northern towns. I've got a, uh, um, like a relative who works for British Gas. It's a heavily populated Asian town as well. Right? Lots of Asians. I won't mention the name of the town. Um, it's a city, I think, a small city. Right? Uh, anyway, so I think if you have a cathedral, you're a city or something, something like that. Anyway, it's one of those. He works for British Gas. Now, right now, British Gas is going and changing everybody's meters to smart meters that have got direct connection. So there's this big movement to do this. He tells me every single, every single English person's house that I go to, right? English, you're all British. Right? I don't see any English people here. I see a lot of British people, but I don't see any English people. Right? Anybody English here? Although there's a debate about that. It could be. <laughs> but, but what I mean is you're not Anglo-Saxons in origin. You're Pakistani, Indian, you know, Gujarati or whatever. Right? You're British, British passports. And we're British now. Although some people say, look, you're English as well. Though it, it doesn't have to come from origin, it's the language and so on. Another story. But the point is... You know what I mean. Uh, he goes to an Englishman's house. Every single Englishman, whether he's poor or rich, offers you tea. And they get very offended if you don't take it. And he goes, sometimes I'm doing five, six meters a day. I, I, can't, I don't have acne. So you have to take the tea, go outside and, you know, uh, water the plants if you have to, right? But you get, they get offended. He goes, I go to our people's houses. They don't offer tea. Our own Gujarati, Pakistani houses, they do not offer tea. You're, you're, you're just a worker. You know? Yeah, if you go as a Dawat, Alhamdulillah, all our people, they will, you know, they, if you ask for water, they'll give you Coke, right? You get Pani Kala Pani Dete, right? For whatever reason. But when it comes to strangers like this, they just think like, and he, um, subhanAllah, you know, uh, I've got two brothers who are friends. Uh, uh, who, who, do, who sell mobile phone accessories in markets, open markets. So I said, which market? He says, one St. Albans, one is Saffron Walden, and one is, I forget, somewhere else. All what we'd call Gore area, 
areas, right? I said, how come you don't go to Walthamstow Market, you know, in London? He says, you can't work with our people. They will pick up something. How much is this, brother? Five pound. Oh, you thought two pound came milta, and they'll throw it down. <laughs> Look, if you don't want to buy something, then put it down respectfully and say, Jazakallah, sorry, you know, whatever. Yeah, I can get it for 50 pence. Well, go and get it for 50 pence then. <laughs> Do you understand? He says, these people that I, we work with in these areas, they got respect. They'll pay the price and they'll thank you on top. He's not being exorbitant, but he's just making a living. Do you understand? We have, uh, th these are our akhlaqi kharabiyah, as we call them, right? Our uh, degenerated character issues. So, other people see them. Other people see these things. So we're not doing enough passive da'wah. In fact, there are places in Europe, there is a country in Europe, where initially uh, the host community was very good with its immigrants. But later what these immigrants started seeing is that you have the muft pesimillah. You know, you can just write that I don't work or I work only this much or that much and you get all these muft ke pese. You know what I'm talking about. And they saw that, man, these guys are milking our system so they turned against them. And now there's a lot of xenophobia based on this. So a lot of the time we do bring these things on. We don't help ourselves by doing this. Are we asking for too much? You remember, one scholar said something very interesting and I'm going to finish now. One scholar said something very interesting. He said... To change the society is not in your hands, it's in the hands of Allah. You only have so much ability. But to change yourself is in your hands. To change yourself is in your hands. You have ability to change yourself and work on your family. That is what will eventually make change in the society. We are constantly worried about our society but not worried about ourselves. We're not willing to make the first sacrifice. We want the society to change. We want the king of Jordan to do the right thing. You know, we want King, uh, king, uh, king Khalid to do the right thing. Right? And we praise Arduan, you know, all that. We, we celebrate this kind of thing and we complain about all of the other leaders. But we don't want to work on ourselves on an individual level, just between me and my brother, me and my neighbor, me and my customer, or me and my, you know, whoever it is. That's very important discernment here. Very important uh, understanding here that socially, Let's leave it to Allah. We start focusing on ourselves, we will see the barakah of it rise. Of course, where we, we, because most people don't have any effect on culture, on effect on the, the social. But yes, if you are in a position where you can help that, well, that's part of your individual responsibility. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us uh, an understanding. May Allah grant us insight. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us because we need the insight to see the newer challenges that are going to come about. Let's make a quick dua, inshallah. اللهم أنت السلام ومنك السلام تبارك يا ذا الجلال والإكرام اللهم يا حي يا قيوم برحمتك نستغيث اللهم يا حنان يا منان لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إنا كنا من الظالمين اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم أو الله we are your servants who are sitting here Oh Allah, we are full of sin. We are self-confessing sinners. Oh Allah, we ask you for forgiveness. Oh Allah, we ask you for your mercy. Oh Allah, we ask you for your clemency. Oh Allah, we ask you to deal us with your compassion. Oh Allah, we ask you to deal, us, deal with us with gentleness. Oh Allah, oh Allah, 
we, you don't have to establish any proof against us. We know we are sinners. We've committed sins in the openness of daylight, in the darknesses of the night. Oh Allah, there are sins that we, have, we still remember and there are those that we have forgotten. Oh Allah, worse still, we have sins that have become part and parcel of our life and no longer do we even consider them sins anymore. Oh Allah, grant us understanding, grant us purification, grant us life of taqwa and purity. Oh Allah, Fill our hearts with your obedience. Oh Allah, make your obedience beloved in our heart. Oh Allah, make your disobedience hated in our heart so it's easy for us to abstain from it. Oh Allah, oh Allah, we are tired from now fighting against the shaitan. And oh Allah, we have seen in this world that when a child stops and cannot walk anymore, then the father picks that child up. Oh Allah, we have also become weary from fighting against the shaitan. Oh Allah, we want you to assist us and help us. Oh Allah, pick us up and make us yours. Oh Allah, grant us your love and the love of those whose love benefits us in your court. Oh Allah, make our surroundings conducive for your, for your obedience. Oh Allah, we try and we fail. We make tawbah in the morning and by night it is gone. Oh Allah, we make tawbah at night and by the morning we have failed. Oh Allah, this is our style, this is our lifestyle, these are our failings. Oh Allah, we ask you for your assistance. Oh Allah, we ask you for enablement. Oh Allah, we ask you for tawfiq. Oh Allah, we ask you for tawfiq. Oh Allah, remove all of those, forgive all of those sins that have brought wrath into our homes. Oh Allah, we ask you forgiveness from all of those sins we have committed that have turned husbands against wives and wives against husbands, that have turned our children away from us and that have turned and made enemies between ourselves. Oh Allah, oh Allah, we ask you for forgiveness from such things. Oh Allah, we ask you for forgiveness from all such problems. Oh Allah, there are many things that will challenge us. There are many things which are challenging us. And there are many, many more things which are in store. Oh Allah, we ask that you grant us the ability to remain steadfast. Oh Allah, grant us steadfastness. Oh Allah, grant us steadfastness. Oh Allah, grant us insight. Oh Allah, grant us discernment. Oh Allah, grant us the ability to see the truth as the truth and allow us to follow it. And to see the wrong as the wrong and allow us to abstain from it. Oh Allah, do not just make us products of this world that just follow this world, that just indulge in this world and that will just remain for this world. Oh Allah, we want you to make us of the Akhirah. Oh Allah, to have focus on the Akhirah. Oh Allah, to have salvation in the hereafter, to reap the endless bliss of the hereafter. Oh Allah, we ask that you grant us the kalima on our deathbed. Oh Allah, that you bless all of those who have who have made Islam thrive in this country. And oh Allah, now for us to continue that role and take it to the next level, to meet the challenges that are being brought up. Oh Allah, those of us here, in whatever vocation we may be in, grant us success in those vocations. Make us, make us successful. Oh Allah, make us contributors. Oh Allah, and protect us from all the fitness that our surroundings may bring to us. And finally, we ask that you send your, finally we ask you that you send your abundant blessings on our messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and that you grant us his company in the hereafter. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifuna wa salamun alal mursaleen walhamdulillahi.